streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. And just like that, we're back another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. Every time we crank this thing up, every time I turn this mic on, every time you and I talk, you know what that means? Well, it means we're going to have at least 30 minutes of semi-fun. But it also means we've ticked off another day or two from that calendar that stands between us and college football returning. We don't have off-season around here, but we certainly do have in-season around here. And it's coming. We're a little over 80 days away. Cannot wait. Talked about it the other night on the show. Think we got a renaissance year coming. Got a little worked up. Many of you saw it. Many of you complimented it. 99% of you liked it. And the 1% that didn't just, I think mainly your problem was it made you punch your computer in the middle of a workspace. And is that really the worst thing in the world if it's done in the name of college football? I don't think so. But look, here's all I'm saying as we get started with the mailbag, because we got a lot of questions to get to. It's okay to be overly passionate about this stuff. One of the hallmarks of this show, the way we try and structure it, frame it, and present it is no one really cares about how we look to anyone else. If you're overly passionate about college football, it's fine. You fit in around here. As I've said before, I think the most detrimental thing a lot of people in my industry do, whether it be podcasting or TV or print, is they try and aim their content towards their peers. You know, the people you sit next to in the press box or you stand next to on the field, well, that's all well and good. Most of them are great people, but that's not my audience. Believe it or not, if you're driving a FedEx route in Laredo, Texas this morning or this afternoon, you don't have a lot in common with them. So I'm probably going to structure the show to fit your needs and your specifications a lot more than them, which falls right in line with the format. If you are new here, this is a mailbag. We do it every Tuesday morning, every Thursday morning. JoshPate706 at gmail.com at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. We're growing those numbers steadily. I want them growing even faster. I gave you the goals the other day. We want 20K on Twitter. We want 10K on Instagram by the time we open camp. Forget about the season. When we open camp, we want to be at those lofty goals. I think we can do it because you guys have always exceeded every challenge I put out. So why would this one be any different? And with that, we pull up the document here and we go to work. Michael leads us off. He says, with Josh Hype leaving UCF for UT, Central Florida for Tennessee, in other words, is the position he's in if he turns Tennessee around better than if he stayed at UCF primed for a playoff berth in the next five years? With the scenario above, what is the bigger get or win or accomplishment? I think it's going to Tennessee and turning Tennessee around, Michael. Now, again, if you were to freeze yourself in a cryo chamber 20 years ago, it would just sound blasphemous. This is why I don't laugh at predictions. People making predictions, I don't ever call them stupid. Because if you just think back five years, forget about 20 years, go back five years and imagine us saying this. I guess with Tennessee, you need to go back a little further. If we went back to 2005 and I were to say, you know, it's going to be a lot bigger accomplishment winning at Tennessee than it's going to be winning at Central Florida, you would have had me tested. I would have had myself tested. I would have checked myself voluntarily in somewhere. And yet that's where we are right now. So I don't ever laugh at predictions when people are making them, because if you go back even a year in some cases, or you go back five years or 15 years, if you look at the way college football plays out, how would you have ever accurately predicted it beforehand and not sounded crazy? Even a season. So this upcoming season, if we were predicting games, if I were to be 100% accurate to predict a season and I predicted it in August, I'd get laughed at by default because there will be crazy things happen this fall 
that are unpredictable that if predicted beforehand would sound so foolish you would dismiss it. So that's where we are, Michael. Yeah, I, I didn't hesitate. When I saw you submit this question, I put it right at the forefront. But I want you out there listening. How do you feel about this? Because there are two schools of thought. School of thought number one is, oh, it's easier to win at Central Florida. The bigger challenge is at Tennessee. Yeah, I think that's true. But I also think that goes into the answer I'm giving. It's just that 15 years ago, the job at Central Florida wasn't competitive in comparison to the job at Tennessee. And I'm not just speaking about Tennessee. There are places where coaches are choosing to stay at the G5 level instead of going to the Power 5 level. Even the SEC, Billy Napier, has turned down several SEC jobs over the past couple of years to stay at Louisiana. Do I think he's always going to be there? No. But I think that these days, those kinds of jobs give you so many perks. You get good money now. You didn't used to get that. You get good money. You get really good positioning nationally. You're on TV pretty much every week because every conference has got some form of a national TV deal. So you don't have to lose your exposure nearly as much as you would have. You get access to recruits. Maybe they're leftovers. Maybe they're three-star types instead of four and five stars that you could potentially get if you were at the big boy programs. Your facilities aren't quite as nice, but there's not a massive difference in them the way that there would have been 15 years ago. But the coaching industry and agents for coaches have been wise to this for a few years now. It's better, except for a few outliers, it's better for your client to be at a G5, a high-level G5 job, than it is some of these Power 5 jobs. Now, it used to be not too long ago, you'd crawl over broken glass to get any Power 5 job. The most famous recent example is that of Chad Morris. Chad Morris was a big name in the coaching world, coordinator world, at Clemson. And then he goes to SMU and does some good things at SMU. But Arkansas came calling, and Chad Morris took the Arkansas job. Now, Arkansas is a really big-time program. We're not, we're not talking about a low-level Power 5 here. Arkansas's done some things. In multiple Power 5 conferences, they've done some things. They've got a nice established brand. they got great facilities. they got a great tradition there. They can pay you a lot of money. And yet Chad Morris went there could not win, and really torpedoed his career to where now he's coaching high school football. Whereas other coaches have watched that and used it as a cautionary tale and said, wait a second, how about since Kirby Smart is showing us, or Ryan Day is showing us, or Lincoln Riley is showing us that we can be first-time coaches at major programs, we don't have to take the first offer that comes, why don't we just bide our time and let's stay here at the G5 level, let's keep winning, because there's very little risk here. I mean, we're going to continue to win unless we just totally screw it up. And let's wait and wait and wait. And our stock will grow 5%, 10% every single year. And eventually we'll land a top 10, top 15 job. And we'll just wait. And that's what Central Florida is. Central Florida is one of the 20 best jobs in college football right now. Do you realize that? I don't think a lot of people realize that. Inside our industry, that's viewed as one of the 20 best jobs in college football right now. I've had more than one person tell me they think Josh Heupel took a step down to take the Tennessee job. Again, I know that sounds ludicrous. It sounds crazy even to me, and I'm the one sitting here saying it, only because I grew up. I'm not 60 or 70 years old either. I grew up in an era, though, where even at my age, that sounded crazy. I'm just telling you, Michael, there is not the gap between these jobs that people think that there is anymore. Uh, it used to be, they're not anymore. So I think it'd be much more impressive if Josh Heupel wins at Tennessee than if he just stayed at Central Florida and got things turned around there because they were slipping a little bit. So he was going to have some work to do there anyway. Benjamin's up next. Now, this is a really good question. Backstory before we ask the question. Last week, 
I told you in my one of many rants, actually, against the college football playoff expansion that I thought a relegation model would be perfect for college football. Naturally, because it's perfect, it will never happen. But what relegation was quickly is I proposed the model instead of expanding the format of the playoff, why don't you address the real problem in college football? And that is making people actually pay for terrible decision making over and over and over again. You get some teams and some conferences that continue to fail, even though they've got the same kind of access to the TV revenue that other schools in the conference get. They do not invest properly. They don't hire properly and they should have to pay a price for it. Conversely, a lot of these G5 schools that have complained annually about not having a fair shot, I'm willing to give them a fair shot. It's just I'm not willing to put them in the playoff as it was currently structured. I want to give them a shot to play a Power 5 schedule, therefore earning the right, in my opinion, to be playoff worthy. And so what I said is a relegation model, just like European soccer, would fit very well here where you take the bottom performers from one Power 5 conference and you drop them to a partnering G5 conference. Conversely, you take the top performer from that G5 conference and you elevate them to the Power 5 level. The best way I could propose to do this is having partnerships between Power 5s and G5s. And so I would link up one Power 5 and one G5 and we would use relegation model, however we want to use it, to trade teams between those two conferences. You get all the perks, you get all the punishments. If you rise from, let's say, the Sun Belt to the SEC, you get access to that huge SEC television paycheck for every year you're in the SEC. If you drop to the Sun Belt, you get the Sun Belt paycheck for every year you're down there. This would do infinitely more to balance out the sport in the long term than expanding the playoff. If you got a flower bed that's not growing plants, the the idea is not to buy property to build more flower bed. The idea is to turn the topsoil over. You got to fix your flower bed. So that's how I do it, but no one listens to me, except for Benjamin, because he asked this question. Well, actually, it's David's question. Benjamin, coming up next. So this is David's question. He said, you talked about college football conference pairings in a hypothetical relegation scenario. What would your ideal pairings be? Well, David, I would hook up the SEC and the Sun Belt. I would hook up the ACC and the AAC. I'd put the Pac-12 and the Mountain West together. I would put the Big Ten and the MAC together, and I would put the Big 12 and Conference USA together. Now, here could be your issue, and here's where I think we may need to work on this. Not much because it's not going to happen, so it's kind of a waste of time. I'm not sure that I want to set it up where just after every season, the bottom team in the Big 12 is guaranteed to drop to the Conference USA, and every CUSA team that finishes number one automatically rises. Maybe you want to do a three-year rolling metric. Maybe you want to have certain benchmarks, like if you perform this poorly, then you drop. If you perform this well, then you rise. I'm not sure how we want to set that up. I'd leave it to you guys, but those would be my pairings. And I think that previously I said SEC and AAC. I don't want to put the best conference at the Power 5 level with the best conference currently and in the future in the G5 level. Since we have a chance to construct things right now, and we're not just stuck with the way they are, I'm going to try and inject some life into the ACC, aside from Clemson and maybe North Carolina. And so that's the way I would try to do it. Or maybe there's a rotational method even there, but that's the way I'd go about it. All right, so now Benjamin comes to the forefront. He said, my question is about how Tier 2 and Tier 3 programs that currently don't have national brands could rise to Tier 2 and Tier 1. Which ones would you like to see rise? I think there are some fan bases and football cultures that are routinely overlooked by most of the college football coverage because the teams haven't performed well enough. 
here are the teams that come to my mind. So I'm going to tell you the teams that Benjamin brought to the forefront, and I'm going to give you my answer. In some cases, we agree. So what he's asking is essentially, which programs out there do you love from a culture standpoint, a game day atmosphere standpoint, just the overall fan base and tradition standpoint, but they're not good enough in football and haven't been for a while, so they can't have a national spotlight on them. It wouldn't make sense. So let's just go in order. In the SEC, he said Ole Miss or South Carolina. All of them are good in the SEC. Every culture down there is good. I take Tennessee. We've already talked about them one time on the podcast. It's been so long that Tennessee is off the national radar. Now, Tennessee obviously has got a phenomenal culture, phenomenal tradition, great game day atmosphere. If they ever were back in the national spotlight, I mean, that would be basically the 2019 version of LSU. That would be Tennessee football. That's how big they would explode back onto the national scene. But you got to win in order to do that. In the ACC, now this is fun, so you can think along with me right now. In the ACC, think about the non-Tier 1 or Tier 2s, but the ones that have great tradition. Which one would you like to see be good so it could rise to the forefront? I think you can go either way in the state of Virginia. I take Virginia Tech, or you can take Virginia. I want one of those. One of those to be good. I would love to have a powerhouse again in the state of Virginia. In the Big Ten, I'm, I'm in lockstep with Benjamin. Benjamin said Nebraska or Iowa. I'll take either one of them, but especially give me Nebraska. I've seen it. Iowa's good right now. Iowa has not been bad. Nebraska's been very bad, and I would love to have a reason to spotlight them on the national stage more often again. In the Big 12, Benjamin went Texas Tech. I went a long way away from that. I think some people forget about this team because they're a 1,000 miles away from every other member institution. The answer is West Virginia by a wide margin. West Virginia's got a culture and tradition unique to anyone else in college football, much less their own conference. So give me the Mountaineers in the Big 12. And in the Pac-12, you and I agree, Benjamin, Arizona State. Absolutely Arizona State. There is no reason why they haven't long since been here. We've seen them have a taste of it. In years past, I would love to see it duplicated. But that was a really good list, and I would assume if we asked for feedback or we took a poll on that, I would assume we'd get a wide, varying degree of answers. Oh, let me take a breath, as I've trained myself to do before I border on a question or a topic that could get me a little little shook, a little agitated. I'm not even going to put a name on this. There are too many to count. But I had a whole bunch of, so you think Arch Manning is going to Texas this week? Again, second breath. The rare second breath. The preparatory breath, if you will. I think uh, a lot of you, maybe a lot of our female listeners have learned about that in birthing class, but it applies to college football podcasting too, especially when you get misquoted. So here's what actually happened. And I stress the word actually. If you've ever heard someone verbally italicize a word, I just did it. Let's bold it. Let's underline it. Here's what actually happened. Arch Manning, Top quarterback in the class of 2023, as many of you know, uh, maybe you've heard the last name before, he visited Texas this weekend. Really big deal for him. Sark, brand new staff, got him on campus, and he was there, and he had a good time, and there was a lot of big to-do made about it, or a lot of pictures out there, and that's great. You can take that for whatever you want to take it for. Arch Manning is not close to making a decision, Texas or any other way, but on Sunday's show, I talked about it. And here was my specific quote. I am now pulling my eye, Josh, up, and I'm going to press play. This is very unprofessional. I'm doing it anyway. You're going to have to stick with me. And Jordan, if you edit this, it's going to suffer. The sound quality is going to suffer for probably about 10 seconds. That's all it's going to take. People, 
You don't have to take my word for it. Well, you do, but you don't have to take my word talking to you now for it. I'm going to play my words verbatim from the Sunday night show. This is what people were reacting to from what you're about to hear. People got, oh, so you think Arch is going to Texas? Let's roll it. I think they hit a home run. I think they are squarely in the mix for Arch Manning. But eventually, they're going to have to have something tangible. Because there's going to be too much tangible result to be seen from Alabama and the likes of Clemson that Texas has got to get it done. they got to show you something in weeks one and two. Because if you are to come out of summer on this massive recruiting hype wave and then you start to show product on the field earlier than anyone expected, that starts a snowball effect. Okay, kids, put your pencil down. What did we all learn from that? Well, as far as I could tell, what I didn't hear in any shape, form, or fashion is I'm predicting Arch Manning to go to Texas. Apparently, some of your ears heard that, though. What I did is what anybody of sane mind would do after a big visit. They would read the tea leaves. They would talk to some people close to the situation. They would gather as much info as they could, which I did. And I said, I think they're in it for him, which Texas absolutely is. It isn't Texas San Antonio, guys, all respect to the Roadrunners. It's the University of. It's a brand new coaching staff. Steve Sarkeesian's got one of the highest reputations offensively of any mind in this game. It is not a foreign concept to think that elite quarterbacks may be attracted to that. I'm not telling you Texas is going to land him. I didn't even say Texas is the leader for him. And so let me circle back to what gets me shook, if you can't tell already. Before I ever got into any kind of media, radio or television or now what I do, which is called a number of different things, I used to fall for this stuff. I would have a buddy call me. Man, you were Mike Golick said this morning, he said the SEC has been the most overrated conference in America for a long time. I just believe it. So I'd go about the rest of my day thinking, man, Mike Golick must hate the SEC. Then I go back and listen and I hear what he actually said. And let's add some nuance and context. Let's just say, for example, the BCS ratings had come out and numbers one, two, four, five, and seven were SEC teams. And it was pretty apparent to a lot of people, maybe a little bit overinflated. And let's say Mike Golick's actual quote was, According to the numbers I'm looking at right now, I think the SEC within the BCS rankings for this week has to be the most overrated conference. Well, do you notice how that sounds just a wee bit different than what my buddy called me and told me? So my point here is I've learned a lesson. If you want to call it the hard way, it's been the hard way. In the grand scheme of life, it's not that hard. It's not that big a deal. But I have learned the hard way once I've gotten into this business that you get misquoted and misrepresented all the time. You can't do anything about it because you only hear 1% or less than 1% of what people say about you. And so I just encourage you, when someone tells you they heard something, when someone tells you they saw someone say something or they read something, just make sure you go source it for yourself. That's all I'm asking. I don't have a fire extinguisher big enough for the entire internet, so I'm counting on you to do the work for me. So to answer all of your questions, No, I don't think at the moment Arch Manning is going to Texas. I don't think he's going anywhere. That's the entire point of an open recruitment. He could go to Ole Miss. He could go to Texas. He could go to Clemson. But I will tell you this. To say Texas has no shot because of what they've done over the past decade is every bit as foolish as saying, oh, Arch Manning is going to Texas. Done deal. In fact, it may be more foolish. This entire notion that I see in the college football world, I guess it's just the sports world. I cover college football, so I see it here. This notion that Because someone has been something or a program has been something, they just always will be that. That's never played out. You guys realize that? That is never played out. Can you imagine having to bet your life on some of these statements that people say? Well, since Texas hasn't been good, 
there's no way that they will be good. That's essentially what you're saying when you say, Arch Manning ain't going to Texas. They've been irrelevant for whatever number of years in a row. Hey, uh, what if you applied that kind of logic when Nick Saban came to Alabama? Because Bama had been irrelevant for quite a while, or irrelevant for quite a while. I give any of you permission to use that today at the water cooler. What if you applied that logic, though? Like, what was LSU? I'm going to use Saban again. What was LSU before Saban got there? It turns out good coaches can turn around any program because Saban did the same thing in Alabama and then some that he did at LSU. What had Iowa State been before Matt Campbell got there? What had Florida been before Steve Spurrier got there? What had FSU been before Bobby Bowden got there? Now, based on the criteria that went into the making of this particular question to begin with, I would venture to guess that somebody somewhere is going to take from this Josh Pate just said Steve Sarkeesian's the next Steve Spurrier. Did you guys hear about that on that Late Kick podcast? Did you guys hear him say that? No, you didn't. But don't worry, because you can take my word for it. He did say it. So anyway, to the moral of the story is the Arch Manning recruitment is something to pay attention to. I need to lighten up or hire an entire army of attorneys. And it's a beautiful day outside. So why would anyone be so negative? So let's take a turn towards positive town. And let's do it right after this. Michelle, frequent contributor to the podcast, she said, I heard you talk about a college football renaissance year the other night. The segment itself got me really fired up, but I'm not sure I know exactly what it means. What specifically do you mean when you say renaissance year? So I appreciate the question, Michelle, because I'd love any excuse to talk about this. You're going to hear me talk about it a lot. I am adamant. I mean, I'm convinced that this upcoming college football season will be unlike any that you've seen in your lifetime. And I don't really care how old you are, to be honest with you, because we've never had a kind of a confluence of events, there's that word, at least once a week, a confluence of events like we have right now. And there are a lot of things happening simultaneously. It's not just coming out of COVID, although I think it is mainly to do with coming out of COVID and coming out of isolation and whatnot. But like I said on Late Kick Live the other night, you got to go back a year. You got to remember where we were. I remember there was a day, I can't remember exactly what date it was. I think it was in it was in late July, maybe early August, somewhere around there. There was a Sunday, because I remember getting ready to do the live show, and there was a Sunday where over the span of an afternoon, there were several articles that came out simultaneous, and it was obvious that one person was serving as the sourcing for pretty much everyone. And it was it was basically telling you the season's going to be canceled by the end of this week. Now, this is after the Big Ten's already canceled and I think the Big Ten was getting in the ears of a lot of other reporters when every conference didn't immediately follow them. And the Big Ten wanted other conferences to follow suit so they didn't look like an idiot out on an island all by themselves. Turns out they were the idiots on the island all by themselves. Not Big Ten fans, not Big Ten football players, not a lot of Big Ten coaches, and not even a lot of Big Ten administrators, but a small minority group that unfortunately represented the conference were out there wearing their clown masks. And so it looked very dark for a time. And this, that's within the context of college football because it was dark in your day-to-day -day life too. It was just a bad time. A lot of you may have lost loved ones. I did. A lot of you may have lost jobs. I'm fortunate enough and blessed enough that I didn't lose mine, but I know a lot of you did. I read your emails. Every single one of them you send me, I read them. A lot of you just chose to take that few-month period and you just use my email inbox as sort of an outlet and an escape. I didn't mind it at all. I don't mind when you do it right now. A lot of you share more with me than you do a lot of your family members, and I'm completely fine with it. I mean, that's the kind of audience we have, the kind of relationship we have. That's what community is about, which is the way that we structure everything to do with Late Kick. But you were going through some heavy stuff, and I remember it vividly. I was too, but I remember a lot of you were dealing with stuff way worse in a whole different league than I was. And then 
you got what was normal in the fall sort of taken away from you. We still had football games on TV, but you didn't have the experience that you would normally have. And it was very contentious. Also, you overlap that with the fact that it was an election season, which is always terrible these days for anything sporting related because you have to mix in politics with everything. Apparently, that's a new rule. No matter which side of the fence you're on, apparently that's a new rule. So everyone gets sick of that. Like No one actually likes that. No one does. And yet we allow it to happen anyway. So anyway, we get through the season and then you finally get into spring and things start loosening up. And you've got warm weather outside right now. And you can actually go outside. And most parts of the country are returning to a portion or a semblance of normalcy. Hopefully, your lives start to get back on track. But I'm saying all that to lead up to where we are right now. About 83 some odd days away from the start of a season. And you can feel it. In our business, you can feel it. I mean, people are jacked. People are not so much typing on their keyboards. They're punching their keyboards. I'm, I'm hearing from people Inside athletic departments, players in some cases cannot wait to get on campus, back on campus, get to fall practice, strap it up, get ready to go. Because you've got a lot of kids. You've got chunks of rosters now. True freshmen, um, you know, sophomores, redshirt freshmen. you got a lot of these rosters of guys that have never played in front of a packed house before. They're looking forward to it. It's like if you're in high school and one of your semifinal games or the state title games played in the big pro stadium and you've never been in there before, well, a lot of these guys feel the same way. They've never been able to play in front of 100,000 people so far in their careers. So they're looking forward to it. Coaches are certainly looking forward to it, but fans are looking forward to it. Because really, at the end of the day, this thing does not exist without you. I know it exists for the players, but it's built by fans. Because this is a product that exists, and those big cathedrals, they exist because you fill them and you watch on TV, and you fund this. It's really you that funds all of these mechanisms. You allow me to have a job. You allow a middle linebacker to play on a grand stage and end up changing his life and the life of his family thereafter because of the money he can make because of the interest you have in this thing. And so you don't have to wait. You can turn on, whether it be the Women's College World Series and softball last week, unlike any environment they've ever had there. I talked to one of the people who runs operations out there. They said it was like a a three-day carnival, the World Series between FSU and Oklahoma, like a three-day carnival. And if you don't watch softball, you should, first off. But secondly, if you don't watch softball, check out these baseball games. I was watching Mississippi State Notre Dame last night. It's like a football environment at a baseball stadium. Duty Noble Field, I remember going there for a camp when I was in high school. Sat right next to Ron Polk, me and a buddy by the name of Justin Hunt. We sat next to Ron Polk as he smoked a cigar in the dugout, and he listened to me long before I had ever gotten into broadcasting, doing my best Ron Polk impersonation. And for that, he signed a copy of his book and gave it to me for free. So that's a good side story. But have you looked at these environments? Have you looked at how hungry people are? It's like watching a shopping mall open up on Black Friday. People get in there and they don't even know how to handle themselves. They're so, they're so excited. They're so exuberant. That is a fraction of what you're about to see this fall in college football stadiums all across the country. Here's the best way I can summarize it. I wish you guys could be with me on a field in week one, any given season, not this season, any given season when you're on a football field at a major event. I'm lucky enough to be at the biggest games in the country every single weekend on the sideline every single weekend. If you could feel what that last six or seven minutes is like when that clock is counting down to zero and they're about to tee it up and you could feel the energy and how it all pours right down there onto the field. It's an unbelievable overload to the senses. It's incredible. You can't inject that into your veins. 
I don't care how many hair bands you rolled with back in the 80s, there is not a substance on planet Earth that can duplicate what you naturally experience when you're in an environment like that. And you guys who are watching on TV or watching in the stands, I want you to think about going into your season. Everyone's undefeated. It's week one, and they're about to take the field. And that energy you got, nervous energy, your fingernails have long since been chewed off, and you're just jacked. You've waited all year for that moment. Take that feeling, bottle it up, and then spread it out over an entire year. That's the kind of emotion. That's the kind of season I think we've got coming because you've got something that was taken away from you that's never been taken before, and you got it back. You lost it, you experienced life without normalcy, and now you got it back. And it spread over this entire plate of what was already your favorite thing in the world and my favorite thing in the world. You don't think this fall is going to be unlike anything you've seen before. Just wait. You'll start to feel it build. If you don't already feel it now, uh, you need to check yourself. But if you don't already feel it, check back in the second week of August. Third week of August, you start seeing those promos run on ESPN. You start seeing those athletic departments release those countdown hype videos, and you're inundated with it. You're inundated with countdown to kickoff coverage, and you get to the third week of August, and then you know we're less than 14 days out. We're less than two weeks out, and then it's finally game week. You know that coming Saturday or Friday or Thursday, depending on who you're pulling for, you're going to see your team play in front of a packed house. In many cases, you guys are going to be part of the capacity crowd. It's going to be amazing. If you've ever seen Field of Dreams, which is my favorite movie of all time, and you remember that entire sequence where James Earl Jones gives his speech, oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. That whole speech, if there were a football version of that, some of you think it's in any given Sunday. I don't really think there's been a perfect football version of that speech, but if there was, it's time to play it. There is no need to save it for future reference. It's time to play it now. Because that's what this fall is going to be like. Going to be an incredible season. You've also, even though you think you've got a hierarchy out there, Alabama's got a new quarterback, O-line, wide receiver core, running back, offensive coordinator. they got a bunch of new on that team. Nick Saban has not repeated as a national champion in the last decade. It's been about a decade since he did it. So it's no foregone conclusion there. Georgia's got the best shot they've had in quite a while because they got the best shot at quarterback they've had in quite a while. Clemson's got a new quarterback there. So there are questions with Ohio State. They're going to break in a new quarterback. These are already going to be favorites. They are going to be every year. But these teams aren't immortal this year. You got a shot at them. You better take it if you get it, but you got a shot at them. Oklahoma could win a title this year. You got to ask yourself whether Texas is going to be back. You got to ask yourself whether North Carolina can break through. What can Florida State do with Mackenzie Milton there in year two under Mike Norvell now? Can Manny Diaz and Miami finally pop on the map? Southern Cal, it's do or die time there. Could Oregon actually be a legitimate playoff threat from the Pac-12? Could Arizona State or Utah surprise you and be one from the Pac-12? I can't wait to see what Wisconsin can do. I think their offense is going to look a whole lot better and different. There's immense pressure, but also immense possibility on James Franklin with Penn State. Notre Dame, Jack Cohn at quarterback. Never thought I'd hear that combination, but here we are. There is so much to look forward to. Kentucky's revamping their offense. They got a very favorable schedule. Scheduling dynamics put a bunch of upsets possibly on the radar there. I think Florida at LSU is one of the sneaky big games in the entire college football season this year because Florida will have already played Bama and we'll know for better or for worse whether they're a legitimate contender in the East. Are they playing LSU with an undefeated season still on the line? Are they trying to stave off early elimination from the Eastern Division race? You can ask the exact same questions about LSU. For that matter, LSU is going to be about a three-point favorite, and that's it in week one at UCLA if they were to lose that week one game. Do you know what the kind of talk would be around Baton Rouge? Conversely, 
You know what the kind of talk would be around Chip Kelly and UCLA if that were to happen? This is not meant to be a college football preview show. Our preview shows will be much more in-depth than what I just did. But that is a very, very small microcosm. It's like a little Tide Pod, for example, thrown into the washing machine of the college football season for 2021. So I'm looking forward to it, and you should be too. We had a bunch of questions I could not get to this morning. We got a couple of Florida questions, and uh, really, I'm looking at like 10. So if I didn't get to them, I'm going to get to them Thursday. Don't worry. Normally, I email you guys if I'm going to get to your question. I say, I'm going to hit it this Tuesday. Well, we may bump them to Thursday, so don't worry. It's uh, it's a long week. Got a lot of time to fill, so we'll hit these Thursday. Remember, share the show all over the place. Twitter, Instagram story, anywhere and everywhere you can. You're the marketing department. You guys are doing a better job than this place can. So thank you so much. Please continue to do so and support the show and tell five friends while you're at it. YouTube, subscribe to the channel there. Five-star reviews in the podcast review section. Anything and everything helps. Thank you so much. Producer Jordan back in town and his first order of business will be to edit this and get it out to you in a timely manner. So for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. God bless.